Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who always wanted to be the Hague King, but the world shines on Moe's. He is the captain. I don't know about the Hague King, but I got a little bit of hay fever. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very proud to be featuring Indica IPA by the brilliant folks way out at Lost Coast Brewery in California. Lost Coast was founded by Wendy Pound and Barbara Groom back in 1989, and it is one of only a few female-owned breweries. Indica has a higher-than-average alcohol content at 6.5%, garage-grade three-and-a-half bottle caps out of five. And this week's beer demand was supplied by the Garage Army. And here's a few cheers to get us underway. First up, cheers to Catherine in Waterloo, Ontario. And a big shout out to Dee Dee in Starkville, Mississippi. Next up, we have a cheers to Delia in Columbus, Ohio. And a big shout out to Kelsey in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And in that state up north, Bastards. we have Brad in Garden City. And last but not least, over the pond, we have Vicky. In Coventry, UK, thank you to everyone for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and clicking on the donate button and helping us out with this week's show. While you're at the website, sign up on the mailing list and check out our store page. We got new merchandise and also we got tons of t-shirts so you you get to give a little love to the garage and get something in return. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Hello, can I help you? 
Yeah, um, so uh, I just got home from work, and uh, my wife wasn't there, which is unusual, and my kids should have been there by now from, like, daycare. So I was like, oh, maybe she went on a walk. Um, I couldn't find her, so I called the, the daycare to see what time she picked up the kids. The kids were never picked up, so I got freaked out, so I hit, like, the Find My iPhone app thing, and it said that her it showed her phone, like, at our end of our driveway. We don't have really good service. Okay. Um, not the end of our driveway, but the end of our street. So I just drove down there, and I saw her phone with her headphones because she started running again. And it, her, I found her phone, and it's got, like, hair ripped out of it, like, in the headphones. So I'm, like, totally freaking out, thinking, like, somebody, okay, like, what's just grabbed her. Okay, what's your address? Ready. What, okay, what's your last name? Yes. Papini, P-A-P-I-N-I. And your first name? Uh, Keith. K-E-I-T-H? Uh, yes. Okay. Did you go pick up your children? No, I'm going to call my mom and have her do it. Okay. What's your wife's name? I'm going to, like, knock on every door. Uh, Sherry, S-H-E-R-R-I. And same last name? Yes. She white female? Yes. What's her date of birth? Uh, it is uh, June 11, 1982. Is her vehicle there? Does she not have a vehicle? She has a vehicle at the house. Okay, the vehicle yeah, is at the house. She's running. How? Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm how? in it right now, driving, and I took a picture of her phone on the ground before I picked it up. Okay. How tall is she? Five three, five four. How much does she weigh? Hundred pounds. Eye color? Uh, like a bluish blue. Okay. Hair color? Blonde. Do you know what she was wearing? Is there no something idea. she always wears? I'm assuming she went running, so okay, there's athletic textbooks. Okay, there's not an outfit she always wears or anything like that. Does she run with a dog or by herself? By herself. Okay. What time were the kids? We just started running again, and we live in a... When's the last time time you heard from her? Uh, she sent me a text asking me if I was coming home for lunch. Uh, what time was that? Um, uh... Well, give me one second. She sent me a text at 10.47 asking me if I was coming home from lunch from work. And I said, sorry, long day. And that was the last. Never spoke to her on the phone, never any other contact. Okay, and what time are the kids supposed to be picked up? Way before 5.30. She usually goes to like 4.45. Okay. 4.30, 4.45. Okay, are you headed back to the house, or where are you at right now? I'm at the end of the driveway. Where, uh, I'm at the Old Oregon Trail and Sunrise where they meet, because that's right where I found her phone on the ground. You're telling me that something happened to her is the way I'm looking at it. There's like Then there was hair like in the headphones. Like it got ripped off of like the ground. Yeah, no, I, un- I understand. I understand. Okay, I'm sorry. I know it's you're okay. trying to keep me calm, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of vehicle are you in? I'm in a black Kia Optima. Oh, my God. Okay. And I live, I mean, we live down kind of a sketchy street, so I'm definitely, I don't know if I'm allowed to knock on everybody's door, but I will if I'm allowed to do that. Well, let's just have the officers contact you. 
so they can start, you know, processing everything, figure out what's going on, okay? And I understand you're freaking out a little bit. We want to we wanna make sure we get your kids, make sure they're okay. Obviously, yeah, I'm going to call my mom start, and have her. Yeah, they've been stuck in this with your phone number. Yes. Do you want me to wait right here for somebody? If, if you want to head back to your residence so they can contact you there and in case she does return. Okay. Okay. We'll have them contact okay. you at your residence. Call us back if anything changes, all right? All right, so they're going to call the number you just took down the 355? They'll probably call you when they're on their way and they're going to come out in person. Okay. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. That call came into Shasta County, California Sheriff's Office on Wednesday, November 2nd, 2016 at 5.41 p.m. Now, the caller identified himself as Keith Papini. He comes home from work to an empty house. His wife and kids should have been there. What he does not say on the 911 call, but what was later reported, is he did try to call and text Sherry, but received no answer. Later, he finds his wife's phone and headphones. He finds this about a mile away from their house at the intersection of Sunrise Drive and Old Oregon Trail. There is hair to which he says appears to have been ripped off of her head. He reports her missing, obviously. His wife is Sherry Papini. Date of birth, June 11th, 1982. She's five foot three inches tall, 100 pounds, she has blonde hair and blue eyes. Keith went on to tell 911 that he found Sherry's car at the house and that he drove her car down the road to search for her and the phone. While the 911 operator was asking questions about Sherry, Keith interjected that he took a picture of the phone as he had found it. He said he had no idea what Sherry was wearing, but assumed running clothes. He reiterated that she had just started running again. Keith told the operator that he last heard from Sherry when she sent him a text asking if he was coming home for lunch. This text received by Keith at 10.47 a.m. Now, the kids were supposed to be picked up between 4.30 and 5 p.m., he says. So sometime between 10.47 a.m. and 4.30 p.m., something happened to Sherry. Where was 34-year-old Sherry Papini? She was nowhere to be found, and her iPhone was disturbingly left on the side of the road near their home. Yeah, not only did Keith call his wife and text his wife to say, hey, where are you? I can't find you. He also called the kids' school and said, hey, what time did my wife pick up the kids? And then they replied, she hasn't been here to pick up the kids. Mm -hmm. So this is super weird. Everything, as he describes it, very unusual. He's expecting to see his wife. He's actually fearing that she's been grabbed, as he says it. Now, the call came in just shortly before 6 p.m., and the police were at the Papini's Mountain Gate home at 6.30 p.m. An official search got underway. A helicopter searched the area using a night spotlight. Patrol cars drove around the area. The Shasta County Sheriff's Office investigators 
they blocked off this area where the phone was found. And they're looking for any clues that they could find as to what could have happened to this woman. Now, there is a photo available online of something found in that area that police labeled with a number three evidence marker. It's not clear what it is, but it looks like a black and pink belt or fanny pack of some sort. Fancy. Police have never addressed this item publicly. Keith and Sherry's sister, Sheila, both made very public, tear-filled pleas for the safe return of their wife and sister. Billboards went up with Sherry's image. The community came together attending prayer vigils and balloon releases. A $50,000 reward was offered for information leading to Sherry's whereabouts. $10,000 of this, which came from the secret witness organization, and the rest of which was raised by supporters of the family. Yeah, and this is a pretty large sum from this organization, this secret organization. But they said that when they saw the pleads on TV, that they said, we have to help. We have to do something. Yeah. It's not a secret organization. It's just in the title, secret witness organization. So the search captain really turns up nothing. All they really come up with here is the phone, the headphones that are attached to the phone. And as the husband says, hair that is attached to the hair the headphones that appears to have been ripped off of her head yeah he also makes the claim that he took the picture of the phone before he touched it i don't know if it matters if i believe him or not but i actually don't believe that statement i know that he showed a photo to the sheriff's department of the phone itself but again it se- it seems like a weird thing to do just off of just general instinct, I think I would naturally just grab the phone and pick up the phone before thinking to take a photograph of it. Yeah, I'd, I'd almost assume that somebody would have to pick up a phone first to figure out if it's their wife's phone. You know what I mean? Like, you couldn't just tell from... Right, out of shock, you're like, oh, you would grab it to verify that it is, it is in fact her phone. Right. Like, And then you're like, oh my God. Do, should we address the 911 call first before we get too far into the search for Sherry? Yeah. Because, I mean, we just played it, so it's on everybody's minds. The first thing I want to point out here is for people not familiar with this case, I have seen Keith in other interviews. And so where you hear him on the, the 911 call, a couple times you hear him kind of laugh. I think that's more of like, or like a giggle. I think it's more of a, uh, like nervous tick that he has. It's, it's not, you know, he's not being light of the situation. In fact, he's the one pushing the issue that he believes that she was grabbed. So ignore the, the giggles because he kind of just does that. And then you'll also hear the, the, the heavy breathing or the exhaling. That's another thing that I've seen him do in several interviews as well. It's, you know, he's, he's stressed out. But also he upset was in, about the situation. Yeah, but he was in a panic to try to find her. He drives down to their where they get their mail, and then he's running around outside the car trying to look for any clues of his wife. I don't find it odd. A lot of people find a lot of things odd about the nine one one call. I actually find very few things strange in the nine one one. Well, if you don't understand his natural demeanor, I think you would. But like you said, watch a couple more interviews, get to know the person, and then I think the 911 call makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't find it strange that he 
assume she's been abducted or grabbed, as he says it. I don't find that strange in the least bit. Uh, some people point to that, that, you know, he kind of jumped to that conclusion rather quickly. Phone is on the ground. Right, right. The The only thing I find strange about the call is where he says several times that, that she started running again. It's almost like, it's almost like too much information and rep- repeated again and again as if you're really trying to sell that idea. But she did, though, because her family was going to run in some local charity run. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so she started running again. And some people point to his statement or his question, rather, to 911, where he asks if he's allowed to knock on the doors of of people in the neighborhood. Again, I don't find that to be strange because what I what I get, the general sense I get from Keith and his communication with 911 is he's trying to tell them that he needs help, that his wife is missing, but he's also trying to be very upfront and very cooperative. Almost like, you know, 911 is the expert right. here. I don't want to do anything that's out of turn. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. I don't want to knock on doors and then the police show up and go, well, why the hell did you knock on doors? The reason why I think people find that odd is he brings it up and he gets cut off by the dispatcher Mm -hmm. and then he brings it up again, almost as if it was like rehearsed, you know, or Uh, he had some script and you cut me off from my script. So now I got to go back to my script or she just didn't answer his question. Right. And he brings it up again. So, what we know here is that the call, the call comes in and really they truly find nothing when they go looking for Sherry. Now, the day after she went missing on November 3rd, the Shasta County Sheriff's Department gave a press conference. This would be one of the very few times that the sheriff's office would make public statements regarding this case. Sheriff Tom Basenko pledged that he would not generally release new information while the case was being investigated. Now, he confirmed finding Sherry's earbuds and phone near her home. He said that the sheriff's office was checking with local registered sex offenders. There were four men living within a mile of the Papini home that were registered sex offenders and hundreds more in the surrounding areas. Yeah. Basenko also said that about two dozen search and rescue personnel were combing the area around the home and the search would be expanded as needed. He emphasized that Sherry Papini did not have any physical or mental health conditions that would explain her disappearance and that there were no history of calls for major incidents at the Papini home. News articles from the early days of the search Simply state that Sherry's family believed that she was abducted while she was out jogging. Now, one thing that makes this case frustrating and difficult to cover is the lack of reliable information available. Really, the information that we have, the only information that we have, other than the tiny bit addressed by Basenko at the press conference, comes from two people. Sheila Coaster, who is Sherry's sister and Keith Papini. Now, Sheila and Keith both gave numerous interviews to major media sources like People Magazine in 2020. Right. 
Keith in particular is very, very publicly visible, bringing awareness to his missing wife's case by making the rounds of the various news shows. Right, but we've seen that before with uh, Christopher Watts. Yeah, so let's take a quick look at who the Pepinis are. Okay, Captain, what do we know about Keith and Sherry? Yeah. Well, they both grew up in Redding, California. This is an overwhelmingly white, conservative, religious community. Party. Keith and Sherry were childhood sweethearts. They met in seventh grade, according to Keith, and then later reconnected as adults. Yeah, I, I believe the big thing that you see uh, reported over and over and over is that they kissed one time in seventh grade. Apparently, Keith kept all of the notes that they passed between the two of them when they were in middle school. Yeah. He seems to be very enamored with his wife. He talks constantly about how beautiful and perfect she is and says that he is head over heels for her. Sherry had been married once before, and there is some question as to whether she was married when she took up with Keith. Yeah, there's some weirdness there. Now, regardless, the couple, the couple had a fairy tale wedding in 2009. And the couple has two children, Violet and Tyler, ages two and four. Now, there are lots of photos and family photos online of both the couple and the family. Now, Sherry is quite striking with very long, almost white-looking blonde hair, big blue eyes, and a big smile. Kind of like the poltergeist girl all grown up. She was, this is one thing that's kind of confusing here, Captain, and it's very unclear she was either working part-time for AT&T and or staying at home with the kids. Yeah. Or she had recently quit working at AT&T. It's, it's, it's a little tricky. Yeah, it seems like most reports state that she was a stay-at-home mother. The two kids, they were enrolled in daycare. This is a couple days a week that they would attend this daycare. Yeah. Now, Sherry liked to dabble in arts and crafts, and she was active on her Etsy and Pinterest accounts. Keith was an audio video specialist in the geek squad at the Reading Best Buy. From what it looked like online, he's probably making about fifty to $60,000 a year. Now, the two owned a two-story home. This is the home that they lived in, in the community of Mountain Gate. It was actually Keith's childhood home. It is not believed that that they owed any money on this home. Apparently they purchased it for $128,000 from Keith's parents. Now they also had two cars. Sherry's friends and family all describe Sherry as a super mom who always liked things to be perfect, whose kids were angels and who could make a mean pie crust from scratch. Keith's mom and stepdad lived nearby and were very, very involved in their daily lives. Sherry's parents lived in Arizona. Well, how about you take us through the day she went missing? Well, as as we said, most of what we know about the day that she went missing, November 2nd, 2016, this comes directly from Keith. Right. He says he left for work around 6.50 a.m., and Sherry was there at the house to see him off. Sherry dropped the kids off at daycare as usual, sometime between 8.30 and 9 a.m. He told the 911 operator that Sherry texted him at 10.47 a.m. to see if he was coming home for lunch. 
He says he didn't have his personal phone on him while he was doing an installation. So he didn't respond to her until 1.39 p.m. We don't know if this was a regular thing, meaning for Keith to go home for lunch. Right. But I do want to point out that the Best Buy, where he worked, was a 20-minute drive from his house. So it seems like this was very likely a not not a regular thing. A little strange, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you consider that if you, if you get an hour for lunch, let's say, mm-hmm. you're going to spend 40 minutes of that driving you know, to and from. My guess here is, because he does do installations, that he may come home if he happens to be doing an install somewhere closer to his home. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that that's kind of what I'm guessing. And so I'm guessing that's probably not a regular thing for her to text him either. Are you coming home for lunch? This might just be a one-off or <laughs> yeah, something or, that happens once in a while. Or it's one of those things that if he's Don't out- come home. <laughs> right, don't come home. Yeah. I got a boyfriend over. Uh, no, but it could be one of those things where he's out on service calls a lot. Oh, and yeah. S- and so it doesn't matter where he's at. He just goes home for lunch because it's hard for them to track his whereabouts. There are reports that Sherry was seen at an eyebrow salon at the Mount Shasta Mall that morning and at a Michael's craft store. Uh-huh. And that some of the items she purchased at Michael's were found at their house. But this is kind of a weird statement that I found amongst these things. Not all of the items were found there is what one report states. Okay. I don't know what that means. They don't go any, into any detail there. Yeah, well, I'd like to see a detailed list of what was bought. Keith also said that it appeared that that Sherry was in the midst of wrapping a Christmas present for him. This was a homemade U.S. flag pillow, which was found partially wrapped. Again, here here's the thing. We don't know if any of this is actually correct, as right. none of it has been verified publicly by law enforcement. We also know that there are several neighbor witnesses who believe that they saw Sherry heading out on a run that day. The problem is that none of them agree as to what time they saw her. So neighbor John Bishop says he saw her around 9 a.m., that she was out near the mailboxes. Another neighbor says it was closer to 11 a.m. And then some tree technicians working in the area supposedly saw her around 2 p.m. This was the time that Sheriff Basenko said he believed she was last seen. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. 
With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. And just a quick reminder, all of our old episodes are available on the very free, very awesome Stitcher app. And our other show, Off the Record, is on Stitcher Premium. And I have another uh, quick reminder. It is Nick's birthday this week, so happy birthday. All hail the king. All hail the king colonel. Yeah. Bud Platinum Knight. (laughs) Bud Knight Platinum or whatever. Okay, back to our missing person case, Captain. There was a GoFundMe page that was set up. This was immediately, and it was started by Sherry's family. Now, we find a little more information there. It says that they believe that Sherry was last seen on Sunrise Drive at approximately 2 p.m., and she was either jogging or walking alone. They also point out that jogging or walking alone is normal for her. Again, I find it odd that the family keeps talking about how normal it is for her to be running. Just seems, again, it just seems a big, I, a I bit think, above and right. beyond. But I think it goes back to the fact that her family, a bunch of members were going to run into uh, in this race and they were going to wear costumes or something and it was going to raise money for something. So I think it's, I think it was something that was on their mind all of their minds, and they're all training for this event. Mm-hmm. I, I just find it weird that they keep pointing out how normal it is to be. Well, to be yeah, running. and I kind of find it a little weird, and I think a lot of people find it a little weird that you start a GoFundMe page right away. Yeah, I don't know about that. For me, it's just weird the way that they, they phrase that kind of stuff. It's like like if I disappeared, like he was last seen driving, which was normal for him. He was very, it was very normal for him right. to drive places. It's, it's not he like was last seen walking. He normally walks with his legs, right? We're not talking about some abnormal behavior. We're talking yeah. about jogging or running. You know, it's, uh, mine would be like, they found him with a beer can in his hand and his pants down, but that was normal for him. See, that's abnormal behavior. You would need to point out that it's normal for a person 
or for right. that okay. person to yeah, be okay. doing that. Mm-hmm. That's just where I'm, I'm going with that. Yeah. Now, she was last seen wearing a running top. Now, one of the family members did post a picture of this top online. It was a black and pink running jacket. Remember, uh, Keith wasn't able to give a description of what she was last wearing because he wasn't home at the time that she stepped out to go jogging. Yeah. And just like you pointed out, a little more clarification here. Keith told police that Sherry was in the process of training for an upcoming Thanksgiving Day road race and that he believed she was heading out for a run that day and then abducted by someone while she was out there. Now, much of what happened when Keith got home, we heard from him on the 911 call. He says he pulled into the driveway expecting to see his son come running out, uh, found no one in the house, and he tracked Sherry's iPhone to near the mailboxes where he then drove after jumping into Sherry's car. Well, and this how he did it was uh, the Track My Phone app. Correct. Yeah. So some people point out here if it's weird that he switched cars. You know, no one's really sure why he got into her car after just arriving home in his car. Yeah. Um, I want to point out a couple of things here. It sounds to me in the 911 call that he is saying that he's expecting to find his wife and kids when he goes looking for her phone using the Find My Phone app. Uh-huh. I'm just wondering if they only had car seats maybe in her car. And so he, he you know, very mindful of this. He jumps in her car to go retrieve them. That's one thought I have. The other thought no, I have. I think by this point he's probably already called the daycare. And, and and ask, has my wife picked up the kids yet? Could be. We don't know that to be to be the case. I'm just wondering why why anybody would do this. Uh, why somebody would switch the cars? There, there seems to to me there there's either a reason for it or it's just just a complete weird thing here. Yeah. So my my other thought would be is if if it was just as simple as those were the first keys that he saw. And I'm only kind of circling around this, Captain, because I've seen several people point out that they think this is extremely strange and bizarre that he chose to take her car. Regarding the official search for Sherry, Sheriff Paseco acknowledged early on that the circumstances of her disappearance seemed to be suspicious. But he said that Sherry's disappearance could be voluntary, but it also could be involuntary. Yeah. He said law enforcement was proceeding with an open mind and they continued to investigate all angles, including the following checking with family, friends and associates of Sherry's looking at surveillance video from local homes and businesses. They did this. They found nothing. They were checking local motels and hotels. They were looking into the family's finances. Sherry's bank cards and her license were found in their home. They were pouring over cell tower data and phone records and social media accounts. They were also canvassing the neighbors and speaking with people in the area. As we stated, they were checking on registered sex offenders in the area. Apparently, there are about 900 in that county. Mm, Flicky, flicky. They were following up on more than 400 tips and supposed sightings, including one highly publicized sighting of Sherry at a truck stop that turned out to 
be a case of mistaken identity. Yeah, well, hold on, because I love the report that some lady thinks it's her, so she goes up and says, hey, Sherry, is this you? And the lady seems absolutely confused. So they reported that she went up to Sherry, and Sherry was completely confused. Right. It's just like, well, yeah, she was really confused because she's not Sherry. There you go. There you go. They were also reviewing missing persons cases from around the nation to determine if any of them were possibly related to Sherry's case. Now, investigators filed 20 search warrants, although it's not disclosed exactly what they were looking for with these warrants. But the Shasta County Sheriff's Office officials discovered that Sherry had been married before and they checked in with her ex-husband. His name is David Dreyfus, age 32 at the time. He was living out of the state of California. Yeah. So he didn't live anywhere close to her. And in fact, he had not had any contact with her as far as police could find in about six years or more. Yeah. The two filed for divorce papers in September of 2008. This was uh, less than a year after they were married. By the time the divorce was finalized in January of 2009, Sherry was living with Keith. Now, searches for Sherry continued with the search parties combing the woods and police following up on tips. But one strange thing led people to scratch their heads in this case very early on. This is Sheriff Basenko brought in search dogs to track Sherry's scent, but they didn't hit on anything. As he told CNN, quote, the dogs didn't hit on anything, which makes it a little bit abnormal. He goes on to say, and now it's almost ideal weather conditions. We've had it's in the fall here on the West Coast in this area. So it's a little bit cooler and we've had some rain right. and that helps too for the scent conditions. And the dogs didn't hit on any scent. If Sherry had run or walked from the house to the mailbox area, her scent should be, it should have been detected by these trained canines. Okay. Now, a family friend. Wait, let's, let's ponder this for a second. So what, what you're saying is that she gets dressed, puts her running shoes on, she takes off running, that the dog, the dog should have followed the scent down the driveway, out to the road, mm-hmm. and they don't hit on anything. Nothing. Do they, I mean, I'm guessing that they hit on her scent in the house. Yeah, so here, here's where this becomes a big problem. And that's why I was very quick to point out, in this case, we're trying to present all the facts. However, the, the facts, quote unquote, facts that we have come from Sherry's husband mm. and from her sister. Regarding law enforcement, they spent a lot of time investigating this disappearance. However, they're they've not, not saying anything. They've not said much publicly. Uh, in what they have released, it's like they choose to release some things and then other things they're not commenting on. Again, with with the dogs not finding a scent, we know that that happened because that's what the sheriff said publicly. What I'm wondering, remember, we have her husband who says it appeared like she was wrapping gifts at the house. Right. And I found a gift that was partially wrapped and it's the family. It's her family that are saying she was out jogging and she was abducted. Well, we, we have possibly an eyewitness. 
Well, but, we, but we, again, that we have I, three people that say that they saw her outside that day. Nobody's saying that she was abducted when they saw her. I also think if she was training, if it was so normal for her to be out running by herself, that some of the people that could have saw her, it could have just been mistaken on which day they saw her. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into the neighbors in a little bit, but one thing I want to throw out there is a, a possible theory. Again, the only people that we have saying that she was out jogging and she was abducted while she was out jogging is her family. What yeah. if, What if they're just wrong? Yes. What if she was actually, you know, the dogs aren't going to lie to you. Um, people lie. These dogs aren't going to tell a lie. So... Unless the, there's just some weird reason that the dogs aren't effective. I, I, I get that. Right. I do get that. But what I'm questioning is, is there a chance that she was actually abducted from the home yes. and that the phone was just later tossed out the, the a vehicle window by her abductor right? or by, by you know, her for whatever reason at all? It, I think what they're doing is finding the phone is leading them to believe Oh, she was spotted outside a couple times. We found her phone. It was normal for her to run. She was abducted while she was jogging, which yeah. just might be wrong. We have a family friend, and this is Mike Mangus. Uh, he was a local Reading news anchor at the time. He was the one that managed to get the story covered on Good Morning America. Remember, we said the family was really trying to get this story out there, and their family friend Mike helped this get on a national level. Yeah, well, it never hurts cases to become popular when there's a, a pretty girl going missing. Right, so we have a whole bunch of stuff going on, and in the wake of all of this, we have Sheriff Basenko, who admitted to People Magazine that, quote, there were no real viable leads, end quote, in this case. And then he tells KRCR-TV they reported basically the same thing. This report came out on November 17th that no credible information has been learned relating to Sherry's disappearance. He goes on to say, I know the family believes that she was abducted. We don't have anything to lead us that way, nor to dissuade us that she wasn't abducted in any way. In other words, it sounds like law enforcement was kind of clueless as to what was going on and they were, a little bit upfront and public about that. Now for people that are not familiar with this case, the weird thing that we're trying to point out here is law enforcement seems to have some question about this disappearance, about this woman going missing, whether it was voluntary or involuntary. Yeah. And if it was voluntary, is somebody else, is anybody else in on this whole hoax? If it was involuntary, who else is involved in this real kidnapping? Yeah. On November 15th, 2016, TVKOBI5 reported that the FBI had become involved in the effort to find Sherry, which by now had consumed hundreds of man hours. Despite this reporting, Sheriff Basenko felt the need to address the FBI's involvement. He did this on Tuesday, November 21st, saying that People were asking him why the FBI was not more involved. And he said, quote, we have bulletins out statewide, nationwide, and Mrs. Papini has been entered into nationwide computer system for missing persons. 
Other agencies are assisting the Shasta County Sheriff's Office, such as the Reading Police Department, as well as the FBI. It became clear that the FBI's role was simply one of assisting with an investigator or two and providing the resources of its cellular analysis survey team. But the Shasta County Sheriff's Office, their major crimes unit, they were in charge of this investigation, just to be clear. So more than two weeks after Sherry vanished, the SCSO stated that Sherry was considered a missing person at risk with suspicious circumstances. In another confusing angle, the California Department of Justice initially categorized Sherry's disappearance as voluntary missing adult rather than missing at risk, Mm. labeled by the Sheriff's Department. According to local media, uh, there's a local media outlet, Reading.com, missing at risk essentially means there's no evidence of a crime yet, but there's also no history of leaving the home or anything else to indicate a person's disappearance was willful. Sherry's family said that Sherry would never, ever leave her children voluntarily in their minds and an abduction was certain now regardless of theories sherry was gone there was no doubt about that but there was no ransom demand and neither the papinis nor their extended families none of them were wealthy and this was this was released by the sheriff now the only evidence of an abduction was the phone being found by the side of the road by keith himself And Sheriff Basenko told 2020, quote, it looked like it could have been placed there along with the earbuds being placed on top of the phone screen. The phone, it seems, didn't look as though it had been roughly pulled out of Sherry's hands. Her headphones jerked out of her ears and dumped there. Instead, according to the sheriff, the, the headphones were neatly positioned on top of the phone as it lie on the ground. Now, Basenko said on the Today Show, the phone had been set in some grass with the screen facing up, and then the earbuds to the phone were loosely coiled and appeared to have been placed on the screen. It did somewhat appear to be that it was placed there purposely. He goes on to say, quote, we believe it was a few pieces of her hair that was there with the earbuds and the phone. I have nothing really to add to this captain. It's these are statements by the sheriff. If he thinks that it looks like somebody could have neatly placed it there, I'm going to have to go with that statement. I didn't find the phone. The yeah. f- the phone is is weird in itself because that's the indicator that she was taken outside of the home. And what we know about the phone again, like everything else, goes back to Keith and what Keith is telling us about what happened that day. But again, we have the dog sent evidence that possibly she did not run out of the house. Mm -hmm. Naturally, like with any investigation, the police took a hard look at Keith. Now, whether he was considered a prime suspect at the time, they always do really would depend on whom you would ask. Mm Mm-hmm. Basenko stated that Keith had been 100% cooperative. He handed over his computer, the family's computer, 
phones and records with no hesitation. He had an alibi. We know he was at work that day. Keith's stepfather, Rod Rodriguez, who had a very active social media presence in this case, posted online defending Keith. He said Keith had been interrogated numerous times and had an alibi verified by the GPS on his work vehicle. He also never lawyered up, had his whereabouts confirmed by cell phone tracking as well, and provided the police total access to the home and cars without a warrant on the night Sherry vanished. Look, all that seems good, but remember what his job is. He is an expert at technology. He's a geek. He's a geek. He's on the geek squad. So if you take offense at that, he shouldn't have signed up for the geek squad. Now, uh, he also handed over all of his electronic devices. This is where I find something of, of very strong importance, I believe, to this case. And it's something that we typically don't like, Captain. But we have a statement, and this comes from the sheriff himself. It says, Keith took a polygraph on November 7th that lasted, according to 2020, four hours. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a long uh, God, test. God, that sucks. Uh, so he took a polygraph test on, on November 7th, and Sheriff Basenko told 2020 that Keith passed this lie detector test and that Keith was not a suspect in the disappearance of his wife. Yeah. Now, we know that Keith... Keith what, what don't we like about that, though? Because I like that. No, no, no. I like four hours. I like that whole thing. But but we often say that we don't like polygraph test. I don't Uh, like him coming out saying that he's not a suspect. I mean, I'm I'm glad you took a polygraph test. You're doing everything you can. Hey, we got the husband. Let's try to rule him out. It's normally the husband. So get him to take this long and depth polygraph test. He passed. I'm not making statements to uh, maybe the cops are making statements that he's not a suspect anymore because they don't want the heat on him through social media and through the media. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the case because there's a lot of times that the wife goes missing and the heat on the on the husband gets pretty bad. Yeah, and I'm guessing that not just the lie detector test, but all things encompassed in their investigation – I'm guessing that what the story he's telling them, they have no reason to believe that he's being dishonest. They have right. no evidence to suggest that what he is saying or what he believes to be true is not the truth. And I think that's where you get the he's not a suspect type thing. Okay. Now, yeah. Keith gave an interview to People magazine on November 10th. So this stuff is all happening very quickly, as it should in this case. But what we're seeing that we don't always see in, in these types of cases are very public on a national level moves to interviews and things like that. This is on the 10th. Keith says that there was no way that Sherry left on her own accord. He said, she is my wife. I know everything about her. I know that my wife would never leave me and never in a million years leave our kids. After almost two weeks... Official searches for Sherry ended, and the family felt that they needed to take the situation under their control. Sherry's friend, Lisa Jeter, contacted a man whom she had seen speak out about human trafficking in the area. 
This man was Reading native Cameron Gamble. Gamble called himself an international kidnap and ransom consultant. He was a former Air Force senior airman and now trained military, law enforcement, and private citizens on how to evade and escape capture. Gamble believed that Sherry had been abducted and asked Keith for permission to try an aggressive approach to getting Sherry back. It's not really clear how this all came about. Gamble says someone put him in touch with an unnamed man who offered to donate money to act as a reward payment to whomever returned Sherry safely. A sort of reverse ransom, if you will. The anonymous donor offered to put up $50,000 to pay off the captors if they released Sherry. Twelve days after Sherry vanished, Gamble posted a video of himself making the offer and speaking directly to the captors, saying, quote, I've been retained by an individual who wishes to remain anonymous, an individual who has come forward to offer a cash reward for a ransom for Sherry Papini's safe return to her family. I don't know your motive. I don't know who you are. I don't care. I simply care about getting Sherry back. Gamble said the money would be paid upon Sherry's release without law enforcement presence and with no questions asked. As for the anonymous donor, he initiated the website SherryPapini.com and posted a note to the Reading Police and Shasta County Sheriff's Department that said, please don't threaten me. I have received legal counsel and what I am doing is within my rights. According to Cameron Gamble, the video went viral. Now, when that failed to flush out the perpetrators, Gamble posted a second video on the day before Thanksgiving, November 23rd, 2016, saying that the reward was now off the table. Instead, if they didn't let Sherry go, the donated funds would be added to the reward fund already established to pay anyone who came forward with information leading to Sherry's abductors, essentially putting an approximately $100,000 bounty on the abductors' heads, as Gamble called it. In this video, he says, quote, The world has been looking for Sherry Papini, and now the world is going to be looking for you. So many twists and turns and speculations to get to in part two. And we know that you could be anywhere, but you're joining us here in the garage. And we thank you and we love you. And we'll be back with part two tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, TruthFinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. 
TruthFinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.